I'm going to take this parable to my credit card <laughs> company. <laughs> Anywho, all of the very learned people, erudite, well-versed, scholarly, and all the other uh, synonyms for smart, uh, biblical scholars uh, urge preachers not to try to explain this parable because it is unexplainable. When you enter it into, when you enter one way, it um, there's always something missing. Um, when you enter in another direction, there's always a yes, but or yes and. And so, though, I cannot resist trying to enter into it because it is a parable of Jesus. It's scandalous in so many ways. And um, I think at the end, um, if you, one piece of it at least is is a good good lesson for us all. So, is it a Robin Hood tale, you know, steal from the rich, give to the poor? Stealing is not right, um, but if you're, you know, righting uh, wrong of inequality, there's some maybe uh, virtue in it. Um, and so, but it's so much more than that. Um, who is the manager? Who is the steward? The steward is such a very, very human character. I mean, what a, what a line in the Bible. I mean, I'm, I, I'm too old to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg, you know. That should be a country song, you know. <laughs> Or my theme song. No, but anyway. <laughs> and, and then, um, you know, Jesus, or the manager in Jesus' parable, looks at, um, you know, what this steward is doing and says, you know, I don't really like it, but I, I can appreciate it. Right? So I think of different, different times when that's been the case in my life. Um, so I think about, you know, when my, think being a fan of a, of a, of a baseball team, you know, and um, the other team, you know, has an incredible play. You don't like it, right? But you can appreciate that it's still a good play, even if it's not to your team's advantage. Now, I learned to keep my mouth shut when I felt that in um, Little League games, because you know, you're supposed to be fair, but people don't like it when you're like, oh, good play to the other team. So, so it's the priest in me, right? I can't help it. Um, there's things that you can appreciate that aren't to your advantage. Um, 
or that you don't like. I don't know, some of you might get the, the Texas Monthly or see it in the newspaper. And I think one of the, the, the latest um, cover stories is about roadside attractions in Texas. And, you know, um, you have to have an appreciation sort of for the absurd for some of these roadside attractions. Um, you may not think they're actually very pretty, but you might be able to appreciate the sense of humor or the human engineering or how did they get this Prada shoe stand in the middle of nowhere near Marfa? You know, like, um, you can, you know, this is a ginormous pecan. And why? Well, just because you can, right? So um, I also remember sometimes when um, I was in one of the tallest buildings in the world and I'm terrified of elevators and once and I was in the elevator and part of my brain was I'm gonna die I'm gonna die I'm gonna die and the other part of my brain was wow human beings are really smart you know like we can we can outdo ourselves and I could appreciate the engineering and the and the striving um, that, that allowed, you know, this situation to happen, even when I was, you know, in fear because I'm afraid of heights. And I don't, why was I on that elevator? That's a whole other sermon, okay? So, so this is how I think we can enter in, in different ways into this very strange parable. But maybe the most important part of it is that the, 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 the steward, when he was in trouble, when he'd made a mistake, I don't, it doesn't say how he'd squandered the, the, the owner's property, it just says that he did. When he'd been fired, um, you know, uh, who knows how many times chances he'd been given. He figured out a way to leave that situation that not only benefited himself, but actually benefited others, right? So, you know, it, it wasn't right because it wasn't his to give away, but he took away a heavy debt from many people who had gotten themselves in trouble for essentials right? This is olive oil, essential at that time, um, you know, wheat, essential at that time. These were debts that weighed heavy on these people's <laughs> lives, and he took upon himself to forgive those debts, and so they were, in many ways, their burdens were lightened, and he benefited not because he, you know, Hoarded jugs of oil or containers of wheat or, or, you know, tried to steal money, but he benefited because he helped people lighten their debt load. So there are many, many ways to, many, many messages to take away from this parable. And as confusing and back and forth as it is, I feel like you know, there's a very, very clear last verse. And it is 
very clear. You cannot serve God and wealth. I mean, that's a short, clear sentence. And the verb in the original language about serving can be interpreted in many ways. It can be a loyalty, but it can also be sort of being enslaved to something, uh, being in bondage to something. So this is a hopeful message. It's saying you cannot be loyal to God and loyal to wealth. These are two very different loyalties. Loyalty to God being in bondage and service to God is a loyalty, it's a service, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, you know, being bonded to the creator of all things who forgives debts, who frees and liberates us for a life of meaning, a total meaning, head, heart, soul, a life of love that is also often hard. We're still mortals, but it's a life in service and loyalty to God that brings joy and happiness. Now, a life loyal to wealth, um, you know, brings certain perks, of course. Money, wealth, you know, brings lots of options. But wealth in itself cannot give you that um, oneness and fullness uh, and that meaning, that connection that aligns your mind, heart, and soul to the joy and the happiness that God and Christ and the Spirit bring to your full humanity. Because if you're only loyal to wealth, then you're very often very isolated. Very isolated. Now some people will be like, well, I would like that isolation <laughs> on an island, you know, somewhere flying my jet. But really, it's very clear that God, our loyalty lies with God first. The prophet Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And this passage that we read is one of the reasons why. He just, he says, my joy is gone, grief is upon me. And he wants to weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. He is lamenting the violence and the oppression of God's people um, on the, the, the poor of the, his land and, and, and what people suffer. And so he asked this question, is there a balm in Gilead? And we know that that, that that beautiful hymn that says, yes, but right then where Jeremiah was, you know, he doesn't think the answer is yes. Because people are being dishonest and oppressive all over the place. And it's not benefiting everybody. It's just benefiting a few. So a 
good question to ask ourselves as we pray on these uh, scriptures. Where is the bomb in Gilead in our day? One person said about the parable, you know, some parables ask, who is our neighbor? But this parable asks, who is our friend? Like, who do we consider our friend? You know, this dishonest steward made friends because he helped those even in a dishonest way that he could and not just himself. So the balm that we're looking for in the harshness of life often comes when we answer that our friend is the person in need in front of us. So there's just amazing an example. I couldn't have picked this, made this up if I tried. This is real life from this past week. Uh, someone with a not so great intent flew a bunch of mostly Venezuelan immigrants to an island that, you know, people don't think of as as a place where you go to get service for the poor. You think of it as a place where people have beautiful second homes that, or people go there because they, they want to be uh, in peace by themselves and the nature of beauty. They want to eat delicious food. You know, I'm talking about Martha's Vineyard, right? And so I'm so proud that, you know, when this, group of people who had been told they were going somewhere else um, was dropped off not knowing where they were that this group of Episcopalians from this Yay! little <laughs> from this little church in on Martha's Vineyard St. Andrews they made a couple phone calls and they decided to answer the question, is there bomb, by saying, we'll be the bomb. And they decided to answer the question, who is my friend, by saying, we are your friends. And they opened the church for the couple of days and, and nights that were needed to organize a real, um, a real response to these people in need who had, um, who had come searching for a different life and who had been so cruelly mocked. And they were um, welcomed into this church and they were fed and clothed. And even the local high school let out their uh, AP Spanish students to go help translate or just talk with the kids and play soccer. And I, I just remember seeing this picture of well, it was a soccer ball. I wasn't quite sure if they were playing soccer because the formation wasn't quite right. But anyway, they were, they were playing a game together. And just, you know, some common humanity. So, um, there's this beautiful quote by Bishop Stephen Charleston who wrote in the four... Um, the four vision quests. He wrote, transformation is not necessarily about transcendence. 
In fact, it can be just the opposite. Transformation can mean a grounding into reality, a deepening into the finite. Lives were transformed as they opened their church doors, as they were received by strangers, as they communicated in um, uh, Spanish that maybe had different accents, <laughs> as they played some form of soccer together, and as they saw the humanity in each other. Transformation can come in very finite pieces. As long as we are loyal always, always to God first. Amen. Amen.